Welcome to the Politics of Truth with me, Bob Crawford. This program is brought to you by Osiris Media, a network that connects you more deeply with the music you love. I'm a dad and a husband first, but out in the world, I'm a professional musician and a political junkie. For those that know me, this connection between politics and music is natural. So each week, I'll be speaking with top-notch political reporters, policy experts, and musicians about what's at stake in this seismic moment of cultural change. This week, I'm joined once again by Bob Costa of The Washington Post, and we sit down with the legendary Bob Weir, founder and guitarist of The Grateful Dead, and so many other music endeavors. At the Lockin Festival a few years ago, Bob joined the Avid Brothers on stage, and he also sat in with several other bands throughout the weekend, showing that his energy and creativity know no bounds. In this conversation, Bob explains what he misses most about being on the road, and how he and his bandmates are safely rehearsing to prepare for an eventual return. We also talk about what the state of California means to Bob, and whether he consider running for local office, as people have often asked him throughout the years. Finally, we discuss the political relevance today of some old Grateful Dead tunes, and which characters from those songs Bob thinks about during these challenging times in America. Please enjoy the show, and remember to vote either before or on November 3rd. Bob Weir, welcome to The Politics of Truth. Robert Costa, welcome back. Good to be with you. Bob, as I recall, Wolf Brothers had just begun a tour when the pandemic hit. For a guy like you who's been on the road for 50 years, essentially, what was it like to not be on the road? Uh, you know, I'm, I've stayed as busy as I, I, as I stay on the road, so that hasn't changed much. Um, I miss lighting the folks up. Uh, that 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 you, you just can't get in quarantine here or you know quasi quarantine because i've kind of had to stay that way because i've been working with groups of people and we were on tight uh tight protocols and, and uh i've been pretty much quarantined now for since march that said you know i have uh a lot of projects sitting sitting there waiting for me to dive into them and i've had a chance to to kind of do that. So really nothing much has changed except, except that I, I don't get to see all those faces and I don't get to see them light up when, uh, when we do something that pleases them. You talked about protocols for practicing. We rehearse, uh, the Avid Brothers, we're still rehearsing, but it is different and we are being as careful as possible. What are the protocols you've been able to put in place to ensure safety for the guys you work with? We uh, we test weekly when we're, when we're going in and, uh, and we we distance and we we mask up and uh, all that stuff. You know, it's standard stuff, really. Um, let's see, what else do we do? We got an air purifier in the room. I think we're going to get a fogger, and we were going to get a machine that makes you able to run a test in fifteen twenty minutes. But you have to be medically certified to get that. I guess you probably run into that brick wall too. We'll see if we can get some sort of medical practitioner to balance that equation for us. Hey, uh, Bob, it's uh, Robert Costa. There are too many Bobs in this. It's going to be confusing for the listener to figure out how many sons of mothers who named us Robert we're dealing with here. But, Bob, I was thinking about your career, and I really wonder, 
Has there ever been a pause like this before where you haven't been able to tour due to circumstances beyond your control? It's, it, I'm really curious if this has any kind of precedent in the Bob Weir history. None. Back in the 80s, in the mid-80s, I broke my shoulder and that I had to cancel a tour on account of that. But, you know, really six, seven months, it's, it's going to be a year by the time we get back out, if we're lucky. There's nothing that remotely uh, touches this. Do you miss it in a way, not only from a music perspective, but I was thinking about your early gigs in the 60s. You were really in the middle of social change and political change and seeing it from the stage, seeing it in city to city. Do you miss being able to be out there and, and see all this stuff up close? You know, one of the things that happens when you're playing is you get to take the temperature of that town. You know, human beings are, are, uh, are pretty amazing. You know, you may not get all the specifics, but you really can feel what's in the air. And, uh, and you get a room full of people in a given city, you know, some of them are visitors who, who travel to, uh, to catch us on the show, but a, a lot of the folks are, 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 you know, most of the folks are locals. And you really do get a, a sense of what that town sort of feels and tastes like. And you also get a taste of what's in the air. For instance, a couple of years back, we played in Florida right after that, that horrendous school shooting. And uh, you couldn't not feel it. And it, it wasn't, uh, I don't think it was subjective. I really don't. I think there, there was a sort of a pall over the city. And, uh, you know, it was lightened up by the fact that we got to meet some of the kids who, who survived that shooting at the school. And, and that was good. And, uh, and we had a, a good little interaction with them. And, and we have we've established some ongoing relationships there. But, uh, yeah, I missed that. At the same time, I, I like to tell myself, at least, that maybe if I, if I sink uh, deep enough into my meditation or whatever, I, that, uh, part of that, part of where I go is that I can feel all those places that I've been. And uh, I, I'm still in touch with them to some degree. When you're on stage and those characters are coming through you, the, the characters and the songs are coming through you, you're speaking both to and for the audience. The, the people in the audience are, are living those characters' lives at the same time. And I like to think that maybe, uh, maybe when I'm uh, you know, in, in my quiet zones and stuff like that, I, I can kind of feel those, those people in those places that I, that I felt back when I was actually there. Which places? come to mind these days as you're thinking back? You know, any and all of them, really. And none more than others, I don't think. It's, uh, but each place has its, own, has its own sense of place. Those are all the colors in that, uh, in that, uh, that painting that, uh, that's hanging there that's all the places that I'm in touch with, or I think I'm in touch with, feel like I'm in touch with. Bob, I think about the Grateful Dead catalog, all the songs that, that you wrote and co-wrote. And they're all so timeless. So many of them are completely timeless. But I've been thinking the past couple of weeks about throwing stones. And that was something when it came out, uh, it was a newer song. And it kind of felt like it fit the late 80s and what was going on in the world and in the country in the late 80s. But now it feels like it's time has come again. I don't know if you've thought about that. Can you talk about that song and, you know, how it was written with, with John Perry Barlow and, and how you feel about it these days? Well, we wrote that one together. We wrote the lyrics together. I wish it weren't so appropriate 
these days. I wish that uh, I wish that the right people had been listening, or maybe all the right slash wrong people were listening and doubled down because it just seems to be so much more that that way these days. In some cases, you know, crime in the cities. You know, one of the things I addressed we addressed in that that tune was uh, was crime in the cities and uh, and the Paul that in the uh, in the mid 80s that that cast on a lot of the cities and that has lightened up considerably. So that's good. But on the other end of the spectrum, um, the political class is uh, has become more and more beholden to, uh, you know, to what they call vested interests or, uh, you know, People who have a lot of money and uh, and want to use that to uh, to promote their political well being, and there are too many people in the political class who uh, who play that game. Like I say, I wish I wish it were different. Maybe this time around we can flip that coin. Bob, what's your relationship like with the idea of California these days? The state's going through so much. You're so closely identified with it. At this point in your life, in your career, how do you think about California in your heart, in your soul? Well, I'm a little conflicted about it because California is a place we stole from the, uh, the indigenous people, um, with the exception of the city of San Francisco, by the way. The indigenous folks had no use for it. It was a barren, uh, barren spit of land uh, that was basically... Uh, uh, sand dunes and uh, and fog and and there was no honey to be there done there and there was very little to be done there so they you know they couldn't imagine why these uh, these people in these tall ships that came and set up camp there would want the place and as far as they were concerned they were welcome to it but the rest of the state is the same sad story that uh, we, you know we we just took it uh, us Western people by and large just came and took it. So I'm conflicted by that, but at the same time, it's home. I was born here, raised here for the most part. And really, not unlike Texas, Californians tend to think of themselves as Californians first and Americans uh, also, or at least one and the same, but uh, I'm, a, you know, I'm a Californian American. And you're still a Californian American, I guess. Yeah. We have to figure out, you know, we, we provide a whole lot of what America has to offer. And I think that we ought to uh, be given a little more consideration for that. We, you know, my vote is worth one-fiftieth what a vote in, uh, in Wyoming is uh, with regard to the Senate. And I don't think that's proportional to, uh, I don't think that's at all proportional to uh, what, uh, or is it one-twentieth? I think it's one-fiftieth. No, one-twentieth, one-twentieth. One-twentieth, my vote is, uh, it takes 20 of me to amount to one vote in a senatorial race and comparatively in, in Wyoming. And that ain't right because Wyoming contributes, yes, to what we have to offer the rest of the world, including ourselves. But California per capita probably offers a fair bit more. That just multiplies that inequity. I don't know how to countenance that except to uh, to think that California should get more representation. The whole West Coast, for that matter. Bob, I got to wonder, after hearing that, in recent decades, maybe you have to rack your brain, has anyone ever approached you and said, Bob, we want you to run for Senate, for mayor of San Francisco, for governor? 
There's got to be somebody over the years who wanted to see a Weir for something sticker on a car. You know, I get uh, I get prodded to run for mayor of Mill Valley every now and again. I brought that up with my good friend Pete Coyote, Peter Coyote, and uh, <laughs> and he sat me down and said, "You don't want to do that." And he <laughs> gave me, he listed me the reasons why I don't, <laughs> and he was right. And I still might at some point. I'm getting old for that, but uh, well, you know, every now and again, I kick it around because really. I think I'm a real reasonable guy and I might be able to work with people of uh, disparate views and opinions. What about a uh, dead in company, Bob? That's been such a special thing. You know, you thought the dead was going away with the big Fairly Well shows and then to have dead in company become such this kind of really special experience in recent years. Have you guys been staying in touch as a band during this pandemic and with John Mayer and the whole crew? Not as much as we might. We we do it sporadically, but really, what we have to say to each other, we, we really have to say. You know, it's it's it, it, it deals with a certain situation that that situation is on stage, and if we're not on stage, the conversation is is uh, necessarily pretty limited. We can amuse each other uh, on text threads and stuff like that, and we do. But uh, everybody has other stuff to do as well. Do you think Dead and Company will come back in 21? Well, that's the plan. If there are concerts in 21, we'll be there. Hey, everybody. I know we don't get out like we used to, but I still like to have a close shave. I've tried every razor blade on the market, and I finally found the best one for me, and I think it'd be great for you as well. It's called Harry's Razor Blades. Have you heard of these? I'll tell you, the blade itself gives me the cleanest, closest shave I've ever had. And right now, for a limited time, listeners of my show can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com politics. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, five-blade razor, with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel and aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go when we finally get on the go again. Go to harrys.com politics to start shaving better today. So Bob, I, I got a text uh, yesterday from Governor John Hickenlooper friend of yours from Colorado, <laughs> current Senate candidate out there. And I told him that we were going to speak today and I asked him if he had any questions. And so he wanted you to maybe talk for a minute about learning me and Bobby McGee from uh, Janice Joplin. <laughs> okay. Well, that happened. I learned, I learned that tune. Um, I can't remember who I learned it from. Probably uh, we were on a train trip going across Canada it was the Festival Express in 1971, I think it might have been. Can't remember. And there was us. There was uh, the band uh, from Big Pink, uh, Delaney and Bonnie, um, Janice Joplin and her crew, and a number of, of bands. And it was one drunken melee from uh, the time we left uh, the East Coast of Canada all the way across to Calgary. Uh, we made several stops and played these festivals. And then climbed back on the train and hooped it up. Uh, I was sort of learning the, the song, me and Bobby McGee, and, uh, and Janice was also learning it. And we sat there for a while, 
uh, we, we found ourselves in, in, a, in one of the cars all by ourselves and we're, we're, we were old friends. And so, uh, so we're, you know, we're just batting the song back and forth and, uh, and we actually doing a duet on it and, it, you know, just getting, you know, choking the lyrics down. I think we both had pages uh, of lyrics in front of us. And we made it all the way through the song. And, and then uh, at the end, I wasn't done. So I just started singing. Uh, I had just come back from uh, uh, a few months before that from a, a, a little trip down to Mexico. And, uh, you know, lis- listening to the radio down there, I, I love Mexican music and uh, Mexican popular music of all kinds. And, uh, and so we get to the end, of, we got to the end of the song and, uh, and uh, I wasn't done. So I, I just started singing. And she, she started doing, you know, she chimed in with that. And we went for a while with that. And, um, you know, that's the way she learned the tune. And she, she did it that way on her record. And it became a big hit. Bob, a lot of these songs that you popularized with the dead, uh, Mexicali Blues, you did Big River, you know, uh, El Paso, this Western feel. Your most recent album is Blue Mountain, came out in 2016. Uh, and now you have the Wolf Brothers. Do you feel like you're realizing something with the Wolf Brothers that was always kind of inside you and it's kind of living larger now with this uh combination well you know wolf bros is is more my vision it's our vision but it you know there's only three of us in the band and the other two guys focus on particularly on my storytelling uh whether it be with uh, my instrument or with my voice or both you know it all it all kind of focuses on on the story as pretty much as i see it and as those guys can can support it so yeah uh, you know, it's it's a little more me-centric than, say, Deadco. What are you listening to these days, Bob? I'm going through a little Miles Davis phase right now. I just uh, redid the sound system in my little beach house where I am right now and, and uh, put a turntable in. I don't know why it took me so long to do this. And uh, I've discovered to my great pleasure and satisfaction the difference between vinyl and digital music. Now, not all digital music, but uh, CDs are unlistenable to me. I can't listen to them. If you get into high-res digital music, it's less work to listen to, but I'm going to go on my little rant here for a minute. If I step out on my porch and I hear a, a dove going off, I know that that dove is making a sound that's, in nature, it's pretty much the closest thing to a sine wave. It looks like, kind of like this as opposed to a sawtooth wave that's like this, or a square wave that's like this. And those are the simple waveforms. But anyway, then if you put a microphone on that dove and run that through an oscilloscope, this is what it looks like on the oscilloscope. And then if you record that digital, it looks like this. So that's why you can't listen to uh, to digital music for very long, particularly CDs. You know, if you're listening to analog music, depending on how much pleasure the music is giving you or how much angst it's giving you, if, it, if that's what the, the artist intends to do, it lights up those centers of the brain. 
But if you're listening to a di digital rendition of it, it also lights up the stress portions of your brain. When I was a kid, you know, 15, 16 on a, on a, on a weekend, we'd go to a friend's house, as, you know, whose parents were out of town. And, uh, you know, we'd party like kids did, but we'd, we'd snuggle up on the couch and, and the, the big calling card, the big draw for that, that little get together would be, we were going to listen to some music. We were going to put some records on. We put on a, you know, a record, flip it, put on another record, flip it. Kids don't do that anymore because you can't because it's too much work to listen to CDs and, and digital music in general. Bob, one of the great pleasures last year uh, for me following you on Twitter was keeping up with your gym routine. <laughs> that was a new uh, kind of, it seemed like a new twist. Uh, when did that start? It was amazing. You can tell you're getting fitter and fitter. Are you still doing it? Yeah. Um, air was bad last week here in California. So I, I, I took the week off and it's hard been hard getting back into the into the swing of things but it, i need to be relatively fit just to uh just to do what i do on stage or even in the studio if you breathe more freely you sing more freely and i've i've found that uh being fit makes me breathe more freely and so it's part of my job description i gotta stay fit was there a moment where you kind of realized that in the past couple of years, or was that something you had been doing? And then you guys said, Hey, this would be fun to send out these videos of you on social media. Well, you know, I was always a jock when I was a kid. Uh, I loved football and other sports as well. And uh, I sort of forgot about that for about 10 years, 10 or 12 years after I left school, which was early, uh, ran off with the circus. And then I started having trouble with my lower back and I went to a chiropractor and she said, uh, well, you, you got to walk a, a half a mile a day. You know, I've always been real busy. So I always stayed real busy. So I said, well, boy, that's a tall order. Can I run a half a mile a day? Cause I used to run cross country in, in middle distance in, uh, in, in school. And, uh, she said, that'd be, that'd be just fun. And so I started running and then that, turned into a little Jones, you know, a little, uh, I, I got hooked. And um, I did that for years. And then, then mountain bikes started happening. And, uh, and I got into that. And then from there, I started getting into, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, I, uh, I started playing football again, and needed to bulk up, because, you know, you got to get in football shape to do that. And um, then that turned into a yoga practice. And I did that for a number of years and I wasn't doing it right. And so I hurt my back. And so I went back to the gym stuff and that's kind of where I am now. I'm starting to do yoga again, but uh, I, I'm trying to be more aware of what I'm doing. Uh, Bob, you were talking earlier in our conversation about characters in your life and how you, you've thought about different characters. In terms of uh, those characters, who comes to mind musically? I know you're, you're listening to different tunes, but... I'm just, who are those characters right now? Well, for instance, the characters in Jack Straw. I had just read Of Mice and Men for third or fourth time. It was in, in my early 20s. And living in a little self-imposed dust bowl out in uh, the central Marin County here, uh, we were raising horses and we had like 80 acres of uh, relatively run-down ranch that we were trying to, uh, trying to keep going. And... Uh, so I was in the right, right place in the right frame of mind, and I, and I read that book, and 
And then Hunter had uh, this uh, lyric that he was working on, and it started off with, we can share the women, we can share the wine. And it, it sort of took me to that place that uh, the book of Mice and Men, you know, Steinbeck, was kind of trying to describe. And I, I just, we, we went with it. And we went back and forth on the on the lyric. And, uh, and, and these two characters stepped forward. And, you know, the song doesn't end well, not unlike the book. Don't know much what more to say about that. And uh, well, there's always the guy in Tennessee, Jed, or the guy in uh, oh, Jesus, the guy in uh, the Wharf Rat, a guy like you or me who gets to see as a, a little glimpse into the crumbling world of a of a guy down by the wharf, beat up guy down by the wharf, and then there's that guy. There are all these characters. I mean, they all pop through my head. From time to time, when uh, a, a given situation on a given day uh, would bring them to mind, something funny. Uh, if something funny or peculiar happens, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be necessarily a good thing. Uh, oftentimes, the, the the character in uh, Tennessee Jed, what would he think about this? Because he's, you know, he's beset by his little pack of woes, and he survives somehow. Though he's he's thinking hard about getting back to Tennessee, so he comes around a lot for. But a, a lot of those guys do. Bob, I don't want to keep you too much longer. You've been so gracious with your time. I'd like to ask you. A couple of years ago, we were at Lockin together, our bands, and we were honored to have you on stage with us. You played with about every band that was there that weekend. <laughs> you are frequently sitting in with other bands. A lot of these guys are a lot younger than you. We all revere you. What is this period of your life like for you, being that where, you know, you've been doing this a long time, uh, you've had a lot of success, uh, but you're still doing it and you're still vital to the music scene and to music, the music business itself. What is it like for you to be jumping on stage with uh, the Avert Brothers or, or, or the National and, and then doing the Wolf Brothers and then being on stage with the Dead? What, what is, how would you define this period of your life? Well, you know, I can't get enough of it. I can't I can't wait to get back out on on the road. But uh, it's what I do. It's you know, it's it's the air that I that I've been breathing all my life, and and right now it's not. Uh, I'm not getting that, but someday soon, I'm I'm hoping I will be again. You know, that's what I'm here to do. It's what I'm here for. And we're all so much the better for it. I hope that. <laughs> I hope that's how it is, because it's what I'm going to be doing. I can't wait to see you on the road again. Yeah, yeah, let's, uh, and y'all. Well, thank you. Thank you both so much. Politics of Truth is brought to you by Osiris Media. Produced by Bob Crawford and Adam Kaplan. Our executive producer is RJB. The program was mixed and mastered by Brad Stratton. Artwork by Mark Dowd. For other great podcasts that connect you to the artists and music you love, please visit OsirisPod.com. Politics of Truth.